0: It has been an absolute joy to be with you this weekend, Uh, it really has. Um, I've been blessed more than I've given out, genuinely. And uh, just when I go to different churches, I have the privilege of traveling all over the country, just being in different places. And I just want you to know, this is as good as it gets, guys, honestly, it really is. A church that is seeking to love one another, seeking to be uh, open to the Holy Spirit, seeking to see the kingdom come. And, and with really great leaders, uh, Tom and Luke, uh, just leading with, uh, with a sensitivity to uh, the spirit, with a love for the church. Honestly, uh, cherish it um, because it doesn't happen everywhere. And I'd really encourage you to to have a sense that you're part of something, and to really invest in that because God can use and work and move in this place just because of the openness to him, and all that I see here. So be encouraged. It's been so good to be here this weekend. So um, we're in uh, 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 4, and we're looking at, um, uh, it's part of a series that, about ministering to God's presence, and we've got a really strange passage, okay? So I'm going to read this passage, and then we're going to get into it. So 1 Samuel, chapter 4. Now, the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Afek. And the Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the ark of the covenant to the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, What's all this shouting to the Hebrew camp? In the Hebrew camp. When they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come into the camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phineas, died. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if we have the first slide on the screen, that would be great. Um, we are thinking about the Ark of the Covenant today and working out what that means for us. And these Old Testament passages seem really strange sometimes in terms of uh, battles and this thing called an ark and uh, what does this mean? And so I want us to get into the passage, understand it, and then try to link it to what we've been doing over the weekend and, and what God might be saying to us today. And I'm going to presume that your level of knowledge of the of the Ark is from the Raiders of the Lost Ark, okay? <laughs> um, and the the, the the Ark got lost, and it doesn't exist. Nobody knows what happened to it in its history. Uh, but this Ark is a box that God instructed to be, uh, to be made. It's made out of acacia wood. It's, it's laid in gold. And inside of this box, as the writer of the Hebrews says, there's a gold jar with a manna, some manna, that God had provided the Israelites for in, in the desert, a sign of his provision and faithfulness and covenant. There's, there's a, um, a branch that sprouted miraculously to demonstrate that Aaron's... Uh, Family were to be the priests that ministered in the temple and the tabernacle and were the line of, of the Israelites that did this and then there 's the ten commandments, the two stone tablets, and they 're in this box and if you read exodus there 's just detailed of how this was to be made and how this was to be constructed and God put these symbols in this box to represent his presence his covenant to remind israel of his covenant and on and on the top of that box he put two angels and he said that he would meet israel in that space in the mercy seat between those two angels that when they came and ministered particularly on the day of atonement his presence would be there but he promised he would accompany that box with his presence and so this ark of the covenant This box is a sign of his presence, a representation uh, physically of the spiritual reality that God was in their midst. Now, if we go on to the next slide, what God was doing in the whole of Exodus and with this Ark of the Covenant and with the tabernacle and all the instructions he gave, he was solving a problem that he had. This was the problem. God is a holy God and God is a loving God. And out of his love, he longs to be close to the people that he created. But as a holy God, if he gets too close, his presence will consume them. How does he resolve that problem? So, if you see the picture of the fire on the screen, um, you know that if you put your hand in the fire, it's going to get burned. You can put your hand in the fire and it gets burned and you can say, oh, you terrible fire. How dare you hurt me? How dare you actually burn me? You're a terrible thing. I don't like you at all. But that would be mad, wouldn't it? Who does that? Because we know it's a consequence of the quality of fire that it will burn you if you put your hand in it. God is a holy God. He's other than us. He's pure. He's powerful. He made all things. And if we come close to him with our sin and what we carry that is distinct from his holiness, we will get consumed. And yet God wants to be close to us. So he, he comes up with a solution that he says, I'm going to create a pattern so that I can come into your midst. And you, if you follow this pattern carefully, then you can come close to me. And so he gives, if you read Exodus, the first half of Exodus is really exciting, crossing uh, the Red Sea and all of that stuff. The second half is a little bit dull. It, it's like a home construction um, program. It's just, this is how you make the tabernacle, this is how you make this, this is how I make this. And, and, then, and then it tells you that that's how you should make it, Moses. And then it says, and Moses did it, exactly to those instructions, all the way through the rest of Exodus. Half of Exodus, this is how you stay safe with me, guys, is what God's saying. Because I want to get close to you, but I'm holy, and I want you to know my presence. And so if you'll follow this, this, this um, practice of establishing the tabernacle, creating the Holy of Holies, putting my Ark of the Covenant in there, then I can put my presence back in the midst of your community. And that's what I long to do. And so what used to happen with the ark, if you just go on to the next slide, is that um, it was in the tabernacle, but it would also uh, be the, 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 the symbol of God's presence as God led the Israelites um, on their journeys. And so, um, are we on the next slide? Can we manage that? Oh, sorry, that is the next slide, isn't it? Yeah. So um, the, uh, the, 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 I was just saying that the priests... Um, when they go into the Holy of Holies, there is the blood that is sprinkled on the uh, mercy seat on the, in, in between those angels. And that's what enabled people to come close to him. There was sacrifice. There was a way to come close. And the tradition was, was that the priest went in once a year in order to, to minister, as it says there in the book of Hebrews, to, to bring forgiveness for the people of God for their sins. And the tradition is is that the priest had a rope tied to their feet. So if they died in the Holy of Holies next to the Ark, nobody else could go in and get them because they would die and they would pull them out by the rope. Because God's so holy that nobody could come close to him without his permission and without the order that he created for that day of atonement. So we're getting a picture of how holy God is. And then, sorry, on to the next slide, I began to say that the ark would lead the people of God. And so in, in, in the experience of Joshua's leadership, that God said to them, you're going to enter into the promised land and the ark is going to lead the way. And so what you, you haven't been this way, God says. And so there's this mysterious sense of the ark is, is placed there. It's got a cover on it. A um, blue cloth because you weren't even allowed to look at it unless you were given permission, because God's so holy. So there's a cover on it, and they were to go, and they were to stand in the River Jordan, and the River Jordan parted, and then they were going to go into the Promised Land, and the ark would go ahead of them, and as it says there, that you were to keep 2,000 cubits of distance between you and the ark. You still can't get too close, and the ark's going to lead you, and there's this mysterious sense of these guys, who were the Levites, carrying it on poles, because they couldn't touch it. And somehow the ark would guide them. You know, they'd feel the leading of this ark and it would take them through the promised land. And so God's presence led them. And that's what brings us to the passage that we're in today. If we go on to the next slide, thank you. That the Israelites are losing to the Philistines. So they go, we know in the past that the ark led us into victory. It led us across um, the, 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 red, the, um, the, the river Jordan. It led us into the promised land. It led us as to where we should go. We need the ark. And so they've had a defeat. They go and get the ark. They, they say, Great. And they all cheer and they're so strengthened by the sense of God is with them now. And they go, Right, nothing can beat us because we're, we're, we're on the right side. Um, God's guaranteed to bless us because we've got the ark and they just go into battle, and they have this severe defeat. And the Philistines take the ark. They win the battle. They defeat all of that. They, Eli, in that line of Aaron, the Levites, uh, his sons die as they're with the ark, and then Eli himself dies at the shock of what's happened. The ark is stolen by um, the, the Philistines, and then Um, one of Eli's son's wives, she's giving birth prematurely, and she names the child that's about to be uh, born Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord has departed. She's saying, this is the worst day in our history. This is what's happening to Israel. The ark has been stolen by the Philistines, and the Philistines take the ark. And then this picture is on there because when they get the ark, they're in all kinds of trouble, because God is still holy, and they don't know how to handle that holiness. So what happens is, disease starts to happen in their camp. They put the ark in the God, um, in their temple to their god of Dagon, and then the first night, Dagon's statue falls over, and they go, oh, "That's a bit weird." We'll put it back up. Somebody obviously dropped it or pushed it or something happened, but we'll put it back up. Second night, falls over, head falls off the statue. Dagon is completely dethroned by the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings who's present in the Ark because he's a holy God. And they get so scared of the Ark that they send the Ark back. They put it on a cart, they get two cows, they don't even dare touch it. They put some offerings on the, on the cart as well, and they just send the cows off towards Israel and say, we hope it goes, and it gets somewhere away from us, because we're now trying to resolve a problem that this holy God has come close to us and has made all kinds of trouble for us. So what we learn from this passage is that God is holy. And you can't just mess around with him. And these Old Testament passages are so important. And like with the fire, we don't get to define God in our own image. We don't get to say the kind of God we want. We don't get to say, this is my version of God and I don't like it. But we, we read the Old Testament particularly and we discover the holiness of God. And we discover his love as well, and this God who longs to be close to his people, but he say, "I need you to manage your relationship with me, because to come close to me without dealing with your sin is something that is, is catastrophic because of my holiness. And just like with the fire, we don't get to say to God, "Oh, you terrible God, Why are you doing this?" He can't change his nature. It's a consequence of His holiness. But out of his love, he is determined that he will come close to us in a safe way so that we can know him. So we've been singing about Jesus. That's why Jesus had to die. His blood had to cover us. And he had to win for us forgiveness so that we could come into God's presence safely. That's why he came. He dealt with the problem of sin. He dealt once and for all. And so the reason we don't need an ark here this morning... And that Tom and Luke aren't prancing around with that and, and carrying it and doing all of that. It's because of Jesus. And we believe that he's present by his spirit in this room now. And yet without his blood and his righteousness that's been commuted onto us, we would be consumed. And so we have this God who wants to be close to us. And yet is holy. And how that relates to us today, if we go on to the next slide, is that you and me, we are now the ark and we are now the priests. The incredible thing is is that Jesus is saying, "By my blood, I can make you holy, and you can carry my presence. And you can minister as a priest. It says there in 1 Corinthians, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. It says in 1 Peter that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And this is one of the things that as a church we've really struggled to own in that the pattern of church as a Church of England is that we, we say that the vicar is the priest And the rest of us, we help. The vicar and the the team that lead us, they're the anointed ones, and the rest of us uh, go along with their anointing. It's just completely wrong. Tom is is the one who carries the authority for St. Thomas's. He's the one who carries the spiritual responsibility. He has a unique calling, but we're all ministers, we're all priests, we're all temples of the Holy Spirit. When I was in Holy Trinity, Leicester, I once ordained the whole of my congregation. Um, so, so what I did is I took the Church of England ordination service, and uh, and I stood up there and we got everybody to stand and I asked exactly the same questions that are asked of the priests, and everybody said the responses that the priests went. I prayed the prayer. I said, "You're all ordained." I gave them all cardboard um, uh, dog collars, and everybody put cardboard dog collars on, and then we, uh, and we went around, and we had a lot of fun, and then, of course, I said, of course, you're not really ordained in the Church of England, because I'm not a bishop, but you are a minister. You're a priest. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you've got to stand up. You've got to rise up into the truth of that. And sometimes people wonder, they say, why can't I see God? If God was real, he'd make himself known. If this God loves us so much, where is he? And the challenge for you and me is that he's saying, just like the ark was put there in the midst of a people to reveal God to them, he said, I'm putting you in the world to reveal me to the world. And I long to be close to people. I long to reveal myself to them. I died for them and, I, and I've enabled you now to be a carrier of my presence into the world. The question is, how do we do this? If we go on to the next slide, and the illustration that I give is of, of a car. If, if, the, if, if the car represents your life, the question becomes, where in the car is the Holy Spirit? Um, what position does he hold? Where does Jesus stand in your life? Because the problem with the, uh, with the um, Israelites is they use the ark as just a lucky charm, as just a, a sort of a, a spiritual insurance policy, just backing them up and just saying, oh, we're okay, we're on the right side. They'd lost the sense that the ark would lead them, the presence of God would lead them, and that, that, that God was the one who was the Lord of their lives. They lost the sense of holiness. They weren't to mess around with this God, but they were to be in awe and to follow him and make him Lord. And so in terms of the car of your life, is is Jesus the Holy Spirit, is he in the driving seat? Is he in that place where he's leading? Or maybe he's in the passenger seat, and he's quite helpful, and and you welcome his contribution, and it's nice to have a bit of company, and you're going on a journey with him, but you're in charge. Or maybe he's a bit of a backseat driver, and he's just a little bit inconvenient and annoying sometimes. You know, I'm living my life, and I know I've got Jesus in my life, and I want that, but actually, the way he teaches his ways, his words, what's in the Bible, it's just a bit inconvenient sometimes, isn't it? Or maybe he's in the boot. (laughs) That actually, you've just put him there... And you get him out, like the Israelites did, just when you need him. He's holy, friends. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And I think another little, one of the facets that brings us back to a true relationship with God that we've been looking at over this weekend. Sometimes it's just looking at the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Lord, there's nothing of me that compares with you. I want to flow in your Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's just how great Jesus is in his lordship and his reign and his rule, as we were looking at last night. And I surrender to you, Jesus. And another way into that is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, it says, brings wisdom. It puts us in a right position with God. It brings us back to a humility we've been talking about, a sense, I'm not in charge. It's you, Lord. And I'm I'm not going to just use you as the spiritual insurance policy or the little magic charm, but I'm going to let you be Lord and lead me. But the reason why that's so important that he does that is because he knows how to use you to reveal himself to other people around. So we've been thinking it's not just an individual thing. Together we're the temple. Together we, we flow and we follow the Holy Spirit. So it's in community. But he wants to use you and his presence in you to make his presence known to others. Reveal his love. Draw them close so that they can come and experience the relationship he's been longing for with them. This is why it's so important because unless we let him lead, we miss all of that. And it's costly. It's not easy. It's a spiritual battle. Jesus' call on our lives doesn't always fit. It's not always convenient. And yet there's no better way to live. So, on the last slide, please, thank you, that we are to carry his presence. And when we're present with other people, Jesus is present. There is an intersection of heaven and earth in your life. And anything can happen in that moment. So, I just finished with a couple of stories. Last, I would like to tell recent stories about how I've seen God use me to carry his presence into a place that otherwise it wouldn't see it and so a couple of weeks ago I'm at my village church I've said over the weekend that it was a terrible church and I really didn't want to be part of it and I'm kicking and screaming God has got me in there and he's doing some stuff there the people are beautiful by the way absolutely stunning people but as they come to worship there's no openness to the Holy Spirit there's no sense of God's presence it's just rigid religion and I I'm taking the service. Um, So I'm taking a communion service. I've learned so much about the Church of England by becoming part of this church. I I, I started taking a a service called Matins. Have you ever done Matins? It's it's mad. They say the Lord's Prayer twice in that service. It's like, was that not enough? Once wasn't enough. It's like, honestly, there's, there's so many words in this service of Matins, I just can't get my head around it. But this day that I was doing this service was a communion service. I wake up, and I, in the night, I've had a dream. And in the dream, I see, I've seen myself anointing people in this church for a filling of the Holy Spirit. I go, okay, Lord, I think that's what you want me to do. So I bring some anointing oil, and other than a, a confirmation, I can guarantee this has never happened in this church before. So I say to them, we're great at the words, the liturgy, but we're really poor at the Holy Spirit, why don't, after we've had communion, if you'd like to be anointed for the filling of the Holy Spirit, that you stay at the rail and I'll anoint you and pray for the Holy Spirit? That day, God was up to something. It was revival. There were 40 people in the church building, it's twice the number that's normally there. After communion, 32 of them stayed for anointing. And I just said the shortest prayer. I anointed them, said, I anoint you with, with oil as a sign of the Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. On to the next one, because there's only me. After the service, there's people in tears. There's people saying that they trembled. There's people saying they were overwhelmed with joy. Because the presence of God is there, and he's given me the privilege of releasing that. And that's not because I'm the special one. If you've got that, you're a minister, I'm a minister, we carry the same Holy Spirit within us, and he is in us, but he wants out. And he wants to flow through us into others. Now, I always tell recent stories because I never want to live out of this lifestyle. But I'm going to tell you my best ever story now, okay? So, <laughs> so I'm Vicar of Holy Trinity Leicester. And while I'm in the Holy Trinity Leicester, and the reason I'm telling you this is this is now in the world. Because most of you tomorrow morning will be in the world, at work. I was chair of governors of a secular secondary school. And I've had to, I'm going to um, uh, Tanzania on a mission trip. And so I've had to rearrange the finance committee of this uh, school, of the, of, of the Board of Governors. And so I'm coming back from this amazing trip um, in, in Africa, in Tanzania, where we'd seen the blind heel and the lame walk and demons cast out, as well as going to schools and water projects and stuff like that. And I'm going to go to this rearranged finance committee. And guess what? I know that they're going to ask me, how was your trip? because they know that I'd had to rearrange it. So I know that I could say to them, do you know, yeah, we had a great time seeing schools and seeing water projects. It was really great to see all of that. But I didn't do that. They said to me, how was was Tanzania? I said, well, it was amazing. Because we met lots of people and we prayed for people. And you know, Jesus healed blind people and they could see immediately. And some lame people, they just gave up their stick and they ran up a, 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 a hill and they couldn't walk before that. And people were set free from, uh, from, uh, from evil. And it was a great trip. And I just sat there knowing how awkward they now felt. <laughs> and they, they said, that just happened. And I said, that's what Jesus does. And then Muhammad is sitting next to me. And he's a counselor and he's a, he's a Muslim and he's a counselor in the city. And he says... Do you know, I've had a pain in my leg for three years that the NHS has no understanding of what it is. And it's excruciating. And he puts his hand on me and he says, I want to be well. And I said, I'll pray for you, Mohammed. The meeting goes on and, uh, and he has to go early so we don't, we don't pray. Three days later, he rings me up. He says, John, we've got to meet. I said, why do we need to meet? He says, from the moment I touched you, I have had no pain. Now that isn't because I'm special, it's because I carry the presence of God. And in faith, he reached out and Jesus healed him. So we met up in Café Nero in the middle of Leicester. First thing he says to me, he says, the other thing is, is I've had such peace. How do I become a Christian? He gives his life to Jesus Christ. And the humbling thing and the sobering thing is three months later, he dies from a heart attack. Friends, this is what we carry to a world that's broken, that needs to know a God who loves them. And he said, You are the people that are going to carry my presence to the people I love so much, who are asking, Where is God? Why don't I see him? And he's in you, and he's calling you to bring him to this world. So, shall we pray together? Let's stand.